Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the many blessings that you give us. We're thankful for the blessing of being able to worship you freely, to come here and to come together, that each week of most of our lives we've had this opportunity, and we remember many of our forefathers who perhaps did not have this opportunity or had to meet in secret or perhaps were in prison and unable to attend. And we pray that we would always remember the blessing that we have of being able to come and to worship you in this day. And we pray that our hearts would be glad as we come into your presence, as we seek to hear your spirit speak to us, and we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us in this day, that you would help us to rejoice in all that you've done for us, and that you would help us to live lives that would honor and please you and glorify your name. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, uh, Brother Dave and was talking in the minister's meeting and suggested that, uh, you know, the 4th of July was coming up. It looked like my, it was my turn. He said, well, maybe you should talk about the life, liberty, and the uh, pursuit of happiness. And uh, since this is the day before the 4th of July. And so I've been thinking about that for, uh, for several weeks and... Uh, I, I, have a, I have a three hour sermon prepared on that, but today I'd like to stick with the, uh, at least uh, center my thoughts on the pursuit of happiness. I'd like to read from Matthew uh, chapter 5. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I'd like to start with the 12th verse. In 
In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote these words, edited by the committee, of course. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, except for the slaves, of course, that are, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So today, I'd like to talk to you, to you about the, uh, the pursuit of happiness. I think in some ways this is somewhat uh, unique to the American culture, the pursuit of happiness. If you look at the uh, rankings of the happiest countries, uh, you will see that the U.S. is usually somewhere down in the teens. The happiest countries are uh, usually the Nordic countries, Finland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, uh, Switzerland, Iceland, Northern European countries. And it's kind of interesting here, in, uh, there was a Danish-Norwegian author of fiction and he, uh, uh, going back to his roots of his small town where he was born, he talked about the law of Yante. And this has become kind of a meme in the uh, Nordic countries. It's now defined as, has taken on its own life, and it's defined as an, an unwritten law. And to encapsulate it into a single sentence, it's also often reflected upon as you are not to think you're anyone special or that you are better than us. So in, every, in, every, in other words, the focus in the country is on, uh, not on individual uh, freedoms or rights so much, but more on how we as a collective, how we as a group of people um, work together or come together. Now, Compare that with uh, what I'm going to call the law of Lake Wobegon. For those of you who aren't familiar with Lake Wobegon, it's a fictional town in Minnesota uh, created by Garrison Keeler, who used to have, for a long time, a long-running show on National Public Radio called The Prairie Home Companion. And at the end of every episode, in each episode, he would tell stories uh, based on uh, fictional characters, probably not so fictional, probably people that he actually knew in his hometown, of uh, everyday Minnesotans, which, of course, interestingly enough, came from uh, uh, many, uh, many of those who were immigrants from the Nordic countries, because they're the only ones that were able to uh, survive in that, uh, the cold Minnesota winters. Um, but anyway, he ended every, every one of his, uh, his shows, he ended, ended with this thought. That's the news from Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. So in America, we are not taught that everyone is not to be thought that they're special. Everyone, th everyone is supposed to think that they're special. Everyone is supposed to think that they're better than everyone else. So obviously that leads to uh, perhaps a different, different perspective, and we often see that play out in the, uh, in the culture and the, uh, 
the, the differences that we feel if we're American, we're talking to Europeans especially, or uh, those from other, other countries. Uh, I was in uh, Paraguay once, and I happened to be able to talk to a sister there who had been in the U.S., and she had worked here in the U.S. for several years as, as some type of, uh, I don't know, if a nanny or uh, helping out with child care, a family in the U.S., and uh, uh, she says it's, it's just like they say in the, you know, here, here in Paraguay, way we work to live, and in the U.S., you live to work. And so I was kind of interested in uh, thinking about this from a sense of, of happiness. You know, does, does working really make us happy? Or uh, what, 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 what should make us happy? And uh, obviously in the U.S., a lot of times there's emphasis on material success, that this desire to achieve the success to, to um, I don't know, be someone, so to speak, overtakes us. And, of course, we as Christians are not immune from that. But I wanted to, uh, I wanted to read a few verses here related to that. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, Apostle Paul says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Notice the Apostle Paul does not condemn the rich. On the other hand, he tells them, oh, and first of all, of course, uh, so, uh, so who are the rich, right? Uh, most, of, most of us grow up, uh, I don't know, I grew up uh, perhaps... This doesn't uh, play well in my scenario here, but I grew up thinking I was poor, right? Uh, one Thanksgiving, my, my mom uh, wanted to uh, ask us if there were any uh, needy people that we could invite to our Thanksgiving. And I supposedly retorted to my mom, Mom, we are the poorest kids in school. So that obviously wasn't true, but of course, growing up in a Swiss-German home, you know, money is always, is always tight, whether or not it is. It is always perceived to be tight, right? And so it's important that, uh, that we remember that here in America, in a certain respect, we are all rich. And that this word applies to us as much as anyone else. Be not high-minded and don't trust in your riches. We are to trust in God, and he is the one that gives us richly all things to enjoy. So God is not, does not with God, if gives us, does bless us with material things, and we are allowed to enjoy them, Right? So it's unlike, uh, unlike uh, Garrison, uh, unlike the uh, 
you know, the, the, con con the concept of Puritanism that's sometimes expressed is that the fear that someone somewhere might be happy, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that God gives us richly all things to enjoy, but we have responsibilities that go along with that. We are to be rich in good works, helping others. We are to be ready to distribute, to give, to give of our riches, to give of what we have to help others, and to be willing to communicate, willing to minister to those that have needs. And this helps us, this helps us to have the right attitude and have the attitude that will uh, create riches in heaven for us that will be worthwhile in eternal life when all the riches and the material goods of this earth are burned up. Another place the Apostle Paul says in Acts 14, 17, he says, God gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. Okay. So again, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing that we are not here just to live an austere life, but that the things that God has given us, that he's blessed us with these, and that we are allowed to enjoy them. If we go to Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Jesus said, take, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what, shall we, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles, that's us, right? For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So God knows that we have need of uh, clothing. He talked about before this how he closed the, God closed the flowers of the field. He knows that we have need of, of, of nourishment, of, of food to eat. And again, he promises to fulfill, the, fulfill our needs in this respect. And if someone's needs are not being fulfilled, as we already saw here, he charges those that are rich to uh, do good and to be rich in good works and willing to distribute and minister to those that may be in need. Ultimately, also from Daniel 4.25, Daniel states that God rules over the kingdoms of this world and he gives them to anyone he chooses. So God has the, uh, as Brother Scott once said, the whole world in his hands, and he is in control of not only the kingdoms of this world, but also the riches and the blessings of this world, the material riches and blessings of, of this world. So the pursuit of happiness for us as believers should not be the pursuit of material things.
What is it the pursuit of? How do we pursue happiness as believers? In Psalm 122.1, it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So I have to ask you today, are you glad to come to the Lord's house? I remember when I was a child, this was one of the happiest times of my, we- of my week. You know, especially when the sun was shining like today. But uh, my dad used to walk us to church. And we used to, uh, we used to when we were little boys, and uh, there were four of us, and we used to all hold hands, and as we would go, we would walk, and my dad always liked to sing, so we'd, we would sing, uh, To Sunday school we happy go, the word of God to hear and know. And that was one of the uh, most common songs that we sang on the way to church, and many other, other uh, hymns uh, that we, we learned at home. And... Uh, as I got older, I realized that this was all just an opportunity to give mom 15 minutes away from us so that she could uh, get ready for church and she didn't have to deal with any of us, right? So dad would walk us to church and my, our, mom, our mom had her 15 minutes of quiet for the week. But, uh, but the, the joy that I felt in my heart and sticks with me the joy that I felt on a summer morning going to vacation Bible school, to stopping by my, my cousin's house that lived nearby, and walking with them to, to church. And again, this was another day and age where you let your, you, you, you let your, uh, your uh, preteen children uh, walk by themselves or with just their kids their age uh, for a half to three quarters of a mile uh, in the, uh, the big metropolis of Tremont to, uh, to church or to school. But we used to walk to church, or t- even for, for VBS as well, and you know the, the joy of, of coming together, of getting to church, and obviously at that young age, I don't know that I understood the the uh, spiritual joy so much, but I did understand a few things. I understood when I got to church that um, I was expected to, uh, to sit and be still in the sermons. And when I was younger, my parents would sometimes give me uh, writing materials and things to keep me busy. But the blessing or the joy, the happiness that I remember as I get older, is being able to sit between my father and my grandfather, to be able to sing together with them, to, you know, I couldn't understand the sermons, but I could understand this. I had this feeling of happiness. I had this feeling of joy being there in the presence of the Lord, being there feeling loved by those that I was fellowshipping with even though I didn't know what any of those words were at that point, I could feel that joy. I could feel that happiness. And so 
the pursuit of happiness, so seeking the Lord, wanting to come into his presence, wanting to be together with those of, of like precious faith, the uh, terminology we use of wanting to, to come together to be able to sing, to be able to praise, to worship, was a part of my, my early life. And sometimes I have to think back on that, and I have to ask myself, do I still have that same joy? Am I still glad when someone says, let's go to church today? Okay, um, parents of young children, I will, I will give you a, you know, a little leeway here, but it's important. Sometimes, you know, it's very difficult to, it's very difficult to feel that gladness when you're trying to round up the troops, to get them in the car, and to somehow uh, arrive at some semblance of time, of, of being on time at, at church, right? And I admit that. But there's this importance of being glad and uh, being desirous of coming to church that uh, gives us happiness. If this is where, is our happiness found in being in the house of the Lord? Is our happiness found in being with other, other believers? You know, in the last times, Isaiah, Micah, and Jeremiah, or Zechariah, expressed, uh, expressed this, this desire Micah 4.2 says, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In Zechariah 8.23, again talking about the end times, and he, he talks about how it will come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all, from all languages of all nations, shall take hold of him that is a Jew, and saying, we have heard that God is with you. The desire to know God, the desire to come into his presence, is a universal truth. Today, there are more people than ever that say they are non-religious. And I guess I, I always have a struggle with the phrasing of some of these things, non-religious, right? Okay, well, you know, years ago, I took this, uh, we took this aptitude test, or uh, supposed to show us what, what kind of careers we were fit, fit for in high school, and uh, went through this test, and so it, at the end, it gave us just this report of what, what would be what would be we be good, what would be a good career for us, right? So my mom was looking this looking this over, and she says, uh, "Oh, it says you'd make an average minister." And uh, I said, "Well, mom, I, I could have been a better minister, but I said no, I don't like to I don't like to uh, work with religious people." So I still don't like to work with religious people, but anyway. I have a big difference in my mind between what's religious and what is spiritual. And I want to be spiritual. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to come to the house of the Lord every day because, hey, it's a habit. Hey, it's a good thing to do. 
I don't want to come here every Sunday because it's a habit, because I'm religious. I want to come here because I'm glad to come into the house of the Lord. I am happy, happy to be here. And so I make a big distinction of that. And I think that people that say, well, I'm not religious, that doesn't mean you're not spiritual. That doesn't mean you don't have spiritual needs. You have deep spiritual needs. You may not realize it, and you are trying to perhaps fulfill those. You are trying to find happiness in a different way. But uh, you know, most of you, from what I can see from the, the way you live your lives, you don't seem to be finding that happiness. You know, After uh, two or three wives, you still haven't, haven't figured out how to be happy in marriage. You know? After all these new cars, you have a, still haven't found, found one that's, that's going, to, uh, going to work for you. After all these different jobs you've tried, you still haven't found the right career path. So happiness is not found in, in this uh, pursuit of, of, uh, of these types of things. Happiness is found in, the, in uh, the pursuit of the Lord. Of course, pursuing is not enough. We need to find the Lord. In order to experience true happiness, we need to create that relationship with the Lord that creates that fellowship that will bring us happiness. Acts 2, 42, verse 41 says, this is the day of Pentecost, of course. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Jesus talks about the pursuit of the lost sheep, how the shepherd left the 90 and 9 and went looking for the lost sheep. And when he had found him, he said, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So not only does finding the Lord make us happy, make us happy just like those in Acts who gladly came and received his word, but seeing others find the Lord, seeing others come to the Lord, that is what makes us happy as believers. Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the lost silver after the, the parable of the lost sheep, and of course he ends this by telling the parable of the prodigal son. And again, the joy that the father found over the one that repented, the son that repented and came back to him over the one who didn't need repentance, although he did. So back to uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. If we look at these in the light of happiness, and in fact, if you look in the Amplified, the word blessed is translated happy. 
In fact, the Amplified goes into great detail here about what the Bible is trying to, what the words are trying to compare, to convey when we say blessed. The Amplified says, happy to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life, joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward condition. Let me say that one more time, because if you look in the Amplified, it repeats this every time, and uh, I think it's important. Happy to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life, joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of outward condition. When the Bible says blessed, those, that's what it's trying to convey here. When we read in the Beatitudes, uh, the, every time the Lord says blessed, this is what we should be thinking about. Happy to be envied, spiritual, spiritually prosperous with life, joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of outward conditions. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So one of the things you'll notice about the Beatitudes is um, it's often said that they are the, uh, you know, the beautiful attitudes. That's how they got the name Beatitudes. But I'd also like to focus on the B here. If you look at the Beatitudes, you see it's a state of being. Those of us in the pursuit of happiness, we like to be in a state of action. Those of us that are brought up the American way, you know, we like to be out doing things. We like to be, uh, we like to be active people. But if you look at the Beatitudes, we are focusing on, they focus here on a state of being. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they, are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, so they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If we look at these verses, we see that this, these are focused on a state of thought, on a state of attitude, being meek, being merciful, being peaceful. Again, sometimes this is very much against our, our, our nature as humans, as Americans especially, of wanting to, to be striving and to be achieving, to step back and be being instead of achieving is difficult for us. Finally, he transitions into another state of being, the state of being persecuted. And as alluded to in my prayer this morning, I do not know what it's like to be persecuted. But this is what Jesus said about being persecuted. 
When men shall revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake, then you are to rejoice and be exceeding glad. So now we're transitioning from that state of being to the state of action, rejoicing, rejoicing, being glad, being supremely joyful, for great is your reward in heaven. In this same way, people persecuted the prophets which were before you. And of course, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution from the Apostle Paul. So as Brother Andrew said this morning in Bible class, you know, it's difficult for us to look into the future and say, well, how would we act in a, a certain situation? It's difficult for me to envision what I would do in a, if I was truly being persecuted for Jesus' sake. We may face subtle persecutions in this world, but, um, and of course, there may be persecutions that I'm not even aware of as a believer that I faced in my life, but uh, overall, compared to the early Christians and believers, I have not faced anything like that. But Jesus says that when we're persecuted, we can rejoice and be glad. Notice, he didn't say we should be angry. He said we should rejoice. So again, the emphasis on the attitude that we need to be happy is to transition our thoughts from this world to the next world, to understand that our true joy is not here on this earth, but it's in heaven, as we, as we often sing. Life's true gladness is in heaven. So if life's true gladness is in heaven, if life's true happiness is in heaven, how does that influence our walk today? Hebrews 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also, also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, if we want to be in heaven with God, we need to have this same attitude. We need to look forward to the joy that's in heaven. The earth may not always give us the blessings that we want, but we know that our true homeland, our true place of residence is in heaven, not on this earth. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And to depart and be with Christ is far better than being here with you. And finally he said, in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through verse 8, 
at the end of his life. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. If we go back to uh, the word that's translated course here, many uh, other translations translate this as race today. I have finished my race. If we combine this with Hebrews, the verses in Hebrews about how the Lord talks about running with patience, the race that is set before us, we see the type of, of attitude that we need that brings us happiness. We need to remember that the race of life is a marathon and not a sprint. That there are many twists and turns. There are many, uh, there are many times when we will feel pain. There are many times when we may want to quit. But the true happiness comes from looking to the Lord, to looking to heaven, to looking to that joy of someday being with Jesus, to understanding that the blessings that we have now, while God has given us to enjoy, that they do not compare at all to the blessings that are prepared for us in heaven. And I, I think that looking at life as a marathon or a long-distance race, you know, that we... This, helps us have perspective, helps us to, to uh, see some of the things that uh, uh, helps us to, to be able to see the forest instead of just the trees. My mom used to always tell me, Rod, you know, you need to stop and smell the roses more. And my mom was, my mom was right. I would be just pretty much like I am today, I would be consumed with my schedule. Um, haven't changed much in uh, 40, 50 years. I'd be consumed with what I was hoping to accomplish or do, and I was missing some of the, the blessings that God had given along the way. Some of the things that could give, bring happiness in a single day. Those little moments that, uh, that God has blessed us with, that we, we forget about, that we um, push aside, and then later on they come back to us as moments of happiness or, or blessing that we did not pay enough attention to when they were there. As a parent with young children and trying to get them to church, um, I would probably just as soon forget a lot of those, those times. But seeing the joy of the children coming to church, of being with their friends, being with their cousins, of being glad to come to the house of the Lord when I was feeling frazzled or tired 
are beaten down from my Monday through Friday through my work, you know, in, in retrospect, I look back at those little moments that I had with my children, and although some of them, of course, were, uh, were very trying, you know, there are many happy memories that I have from those days, and they, I believe that somehow the Lord has used those and is still using those in the life of my children, and I believe in your children, to draw them to him and to, to uh, create moments of happiness that you or they look back on and remember. So it's important not only to look forward to the ultimate goal and destination, but for happiness to be achieved here on this earth, it's also important to take those little things that the Lord gives us, the little happinesses that he blesses us with each day, and not to pass those up. There's a story of a uh, U.S. businessman who was on vacation in Mexico, and uh, he sees a Mexican fisherman coming in with his catch for the day. He strikes up a conversation with him, he said. says, that's a fine-looking catch. How long did it take? Uh, the Mexican fisherman says, just a little while. And the U.S. businessman says, well, why don't you stay out longer and catch more, more fish? And the uh, fisherman says, well, you know, it's enough to feed my family. And uh, so the uh, U.S. businessman says, so what do you do with the rest of your time? And uh, the fisherman says, well, you know, usually I sleep in late, I fish a little, and I play with my children, I take a siesta with my wife, I, in the evening I walk into the village, I have a glass of wine, and I play the guitar with my amigos. I have a full and happy life. The U.S. businessman says, well, I can help you. I can make your life better. You could spend more time fishing, and then you could buy a bigger boat. And as you caught more fish and sold more fish, you could buy more boats. You could have a fleet of fishing boats. And then, eventually, you could skip the middleman, and you could sell your fish directly to the cannery and make even more money. And though eventually, you know, you could buy the cannery or start your own cannery and you could control the product, the processing, and the distribution. And then you could move any place you wanted in the world. You could go to Los Angeles or New York City and you could run your business empire from there. Uh, fisherman says, well, how long would that take? Uh, American says, oh... 15, 20, 25 years. Fisherman says, uh, well, what, what, and then what, what then? The American says, this is the best part. You could take your company public. You could sell, sell your company on the stock market. You could make millions of dollars. Fisherman says, then what? American says, even better. You could retire to a small coastal village. You could sleep in late. You could fish a little when you wanted to. You could play with your children. You could take siestas with your wife. 
You could walk into the village for a glass of wine, and you could play guitar with your amigos, and you would have a full and happy life. The start of a full and happy life is right where you are today. The start of a full and happy life is coming to Jesus, is having Jesus in your heart. It's fellowshipping with those who also have faith in Jesus, who share the same joy, the same relationship with Jesus that you share. And best of all, happiness is looking forward to the joy that you will share eternally in heaven with Jesus. May the Lord bless this word.